29-year-old former criminal justice student Brian Koberger is facing four murder charges in Idaho in the tragic deaths of four University of Idaho students and is awaiting trial. The horrifying event unfolded on November 13, 2022 in Moscow, Idaho, near the campus of Washington State University, where Brian attended. And the four victims were all fatally stabbed, with the exception of two roommates who were in that house that night but unharmed. Brian is denying any involvement in the killings, although there's some pretty sketchy evidence against him, including DNA found on the murder weapon's knife sheath, which was a DNA familial match to his dad when tested and led back to Brian and the murder weapon which was a knife has never been found and in court there have been several motions brought forward by the defense not to mention other updates in the case we're going to dive into the particulars and talk about some major updates that pertain to this tragic case I'm Linda with it's a crime so now let's get into it Back in May of 2023, the judge entered a not guilty plea for Brian Koberger on his behalf. The severity of his charges has him facing the potential of the death penalty, which looms over the upcoming trial. It was initially set for October 2nd, but Brian waived his right to a speedy trial. And even now, things might be postponed for an extended amount of time, unfortunately. The defense, led by Ann Taylor, is thinking summer of 2025 is a more of a down-to-earth timeline, which at the time of this recording is still at least 15 months away. Ann Taylor asked the court to delay the trial until then. She argued they're drowning in a sea of evidence with thousands of photos, videos, and over 400 witnesses to sift through. The prosecution is hoping for the trial a lot sooner and would like it to happen this summer of 2024. Latod District Judge John Judge didn't agree or disagree about the date or come to anything definitive, but he did acknowledge the families and stressed the importance of a smooth trial without retrials. He apologized to the families and said, my heart goes out to the victims. I can't even imagine the pain, the grief, because you can't really go forward with your life with this hanging over your head, so I'm sorry. And in a major step in the case, Brian Koberger's defense team has filled a request for a change of venue in his murder trial, and the defense attorney, Ann Taylor, argues that the pretrial publicity, inflammatory media coverage, and the small size of the community of Moscow, where the four students were killed, make it impossible for Koberger to receive a fair trial. Moscow has a population of just under 26,000 people as of 2021. And the defense highlighted that even widening the jury pool won't cut it, given the deep-seated biases. They are aiming for a hearing by the end of April to find out about the potential relocation. And on the flip side, Prosecutor Bill Thompson is pushing back, saying Latok County deserves a shot at seating a jury since the crime occurred there. He stated that moving the trial won't matter as people around the world have heard about this case and has global notoriety. Note, we heard arguments in the Idaho case of Lori and Chad Daybell where they requested a change of venue and it was in fact granted. So do you think that they will do the same in this case and move the venue? Comment below. And in a recent court decision, the judge turned down a request from Brian's legal team to throw out the grand jury indictment. The judge, John Judge, yes, that's his name, made it clear that the defense's arguments 
we're missing the mark on key legal points. He basically said, nice try with the whole beyond reasonable doubt angle, but it doesn't change how Idaho courts see things in the statute, case law, and criminal rules. His actual words, he said, the arguments from the defense for a beyond reasonable doubt standard for the grand jury were historically interesting and creative, but do not overturn Idaho court's interpretation of the statute, the case law, and the criminal rules. Specifically rule through 6.8 ICR that the standard for the grand jury to indict is probable cause. Therefore, the court denies Koberger's motion to dismiss the indictment based on his claim of inaccurate instructions to the grand jury in order to warrant an indictment. The judge highlighted that grand juries aren't trial juries, they're more like evidence screeners for proceeding to potential trials. He also pointed out that the defense missed some language in the statute about this being decided by a trial jury, giving a bigger picture. The judge, though, did give a nod to Brian's legal team, appreciating their hustle for his rights. He said no one should fault the public defender for making these arguments on Koberger's behalf. Quite the opposite. We should celebrate that Koberger's legal team is putting up a vigorous fight on his behalf, ensuring that his rights are respected through the legal process. All too often, public defenders put up no real fight, often because the system deprives them of the resources needed to function well. Now, this is interesting also to me because I often wonder what kind of conversations Brian Koberger has with his defense team, especially with him having the education he does, don't you think? And the defense tried a couple of times at getting another shot of his indictment tossed out and securing the unsealing of case documents, but the judge shut it down. Brian wanted the court to unseal a motion to dismiss the case and wanted the public to be able to access it since they said the public has a right to be informed on the motion and the pleadings, even though there's a gag order currently in place. And in other news, for those of you who don't know or haven't heard, back in December of 2023, they demolished the house the students were living at on 1122 King Road in Moscow, Idaho, and where they were brutally murdered. And this topic has been quite controversial. I'm curious what you think about it, because according to the former FBI agent, Jennifer Koffendoffer, she's saying that the house being destroyed before trial is a mistake. She thinks that the reason that the prosecution didn't object to it was because she believes they are quite confident in the case against Brian Koberger. As for the defense, she said, I think the defense isn't objecting because they don't want those jurors in there to see the scene, even though it's cleaned up to the degree it could be. Now, what are your thoughts on this? Do you think the house should have stayed until the trial was finished? Leave a comment below. And Jennifer Koffendoffer goes on to say that what the court will rely on is video imaging, but of course, jurors won't be able to physically walk through it and understand the timing or experience, the line of sight, and these types of things. Now, in case you didn't know or don't remember, the suspect was in and out of that house, it was said in 15 minutes. Now, one other important aspect of the case is 
one of the surviving roommates witnessed someone in the house wearing all black and a mask describing him with bushy eyebrows. The jurors won't have the opportunity or feel of being there and seeing where that witness was or where she saw him or the line of sight in person. Now, Koffendoffer said, I equate it to watching a video if you are house shopping. She said, you watch the video, then you go to the house and you say, wait, those stairs are creaking or the ceiling is lower or wow, these rooms are so small. There is nothing that can take the place, she says, of going to that crime scene. And the pros of keeping it standing far outweigh the cons of tearing it down. If I were a juror, she said, I would want to go. Now we've heard the reasoning it was demolished was apparently because it's a reminder of what occurred there. Understandable in some aspects, but I find that a bit odd as well. But here we are. And the University of Idaho took that house over. And the university said, it is the grim reminder of the heinous act that took place there. While we appreciate the emotional connection some family members of the victims may have to this house, it is time for its removal and to allow the collective healing of our community. This is said by Scott Green, the president of the University of Idaho. Now, I don't know how I feel about this. I feel like the victims' families have a little more pull and should have a little more say or a lot more say, in my opinion, than the president of the university calling it, you know, calling the shots on it. But maybe I'm missing something. Let me know what you think below what that is. Also, I want to say it's not just about the connection to the house. I feel it's the connection, and maybe you agree, to the fact that justice will be served and then after that, then the house can go. What do you think? Now, some of the victims' families are okay with the decision and the demolition and some aren't. One of the victims, Kaylee Gonsalves, her family said in a statement given to Brian Enton of News Nation, they said, the family has stressed tirelessly to the prosecution and the University of Idaho the importance evidentiary and emotionally that the King Road house carries, but nobody seems to care enough. It's like screaming into a void. Nobody is listening and everyone tells you how sorry they are for the decision, but the family's opinion isn't a priority. And Kaylee's family all have been very vocal from the very beginning in this case, especially her dad, Steve. While another victim's family, Ethan Chapin, his family has the opposite opinion and supports the decision to demolish the house, saying, We're supportive of the decision to take down the King Street house for the good of the university, its students, including our own kids, and the community of Moscow. The house was demolished on December 28th, and according to reports, once the house was knocked down, they hauled what was left to a processing facility, and it was said that the remaining pieces were buried deep underground due to concerns people will try and take souvenirs from the wreckage. Now, also in recent news, Kaylee's parents were interviewed, and they talked about the position in which their daughter was found in and a bit about the room. And the way that, that room's... Put together, if you come through that door, you can't get out of that room. Totally trapped. Yeah, you're tiny, in a tiny, tiny room. The bed, the, the bed was the, the entire room. You could barely open up the door without swiping the, the foot of the bed. And it was wall, wall. You know, the headboard was up against the wall. The side where Kaylee was on was up against the wall. And if you can imagine Kaylee in an upright sort of position, up in the corner, slumped. I mean, she was trapped. 
I do have something to say about this new piece of information in another upcoming video, so stay tuned for that and be sure to set your notifications. Now, video isn't allowed by the media in court, but it has been granted on the judge's YouTube channel, so we're able to see the hearings and hopefully trial when we get there. I do hope that Brian's trial is sooner than later. Another year and a half is certainly a long way away, but as we know, it does take some time you know, it does take that long sometimes, and we've seen many cases where that happens. And really, this isn't exactly the easiest of cases, is it? Check out my playlist on the case right here, and be sure to subscribe so you can see my new videos on the case. I have an interesting upcoming one you may just want to see. Thank you so much for watching. Stay safe out there.